Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We continue our coverage here as we all get set for the year's third and final Grand Slam, the 2020 French Open, set to begin this Sunday. It's crazy to say that, given that the action in New York really didn't end that long ago, but nevertheless, we get to see our favorite players back on court competing for a Grand Slam title. And what is our job here at Crack Rackets? Help prepare all of you listeners for for the action, get you set for the contenders you can expect to see, the dark horse candidates, the fun first round matches, the tricky sections of the draw, all of the above. That's what we're trying to do here on this Great Shot podcast. And of course, our preview content continues today on this show. Really excited for all of you listeners to hear today's episode as I am joined uh, by one of my favorite people I have come across, if I'm being honest, in the tennis world. And I'm going to be honest, some of you crack, well, you know, I don't know why I'm going to say I'm going to be honest. When would I ever know? not be honest, but some of you Cracked Rackets fans may know we have been fortunate enough to get the chance to work with our friends over on the Tennis One app when we do. We are so frequently joined by today's guest on the show. Now, you may know him for his work as a pro tennis coach, whether it be at IMG Academy, whether it be with various pro players throughout the course of his career. Sandy Middleman joins the show today to help me talk about the five women we believe could come home with this year's French Open women's singles title. Uh, It's a really fun conversation one, because Sandy and I enjoy each other, and I think you listeners are going to hear that and you know feel that energy clearly uh, throughout the show, and that always makes for a fun episode. But more importantly, the depth we're able to get into, whether it be tactics, whether it be you know the strengths that you need to see from players throughout the course of a two weeks, if they're going to be able to come home with the title, all of that and more. Uh, it's a really great conversation, and of course, I say the five women. I think we end up talking about seven, maybe eight, and we throw in a little men's talk in there as as well because uh, inevitably there will be a tangent or two whenever we are on this show, but it's a really great conversation that I know will help all of you listeners get ready for this action, so I look forward to you hearing it. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out, why we want to provide all this information for you listeners so you can take advantage of it with our friends at DraftKings. If you haven't already been picking along with us for our GSP Aces of the Day, if you want to get started, get in on this action for the French Open, believe me, it makes it that much juicier to follow along. Here's how it works. You're going to go to DraftKings.com, create your DraftKings Sportsbook account, and make a deposit. From there, DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. After that, you're going to make your first bet. And DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet up to $500. By the way, right now, Simona Halep plus 275. If you're telling me I can put a little bit of my own cash and DraftKings is going to match that cash with a risk-free first bet, that sounds like a win to me. Halep right now plus 275. That's pretty juicy. You can get in on that action by going to dkng.co slash cracked open to play. That's dkng.co slash cracked cracked open. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. You must be 21 years or older or in a participating state to take advantage of this offer. Deposit bonuses in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings 
DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for more details. I feel like I just gave away the shop. Needless to say, there will be some Simona Halep talk in this conversation when we get to so many names. Again, the women we believe can emerge with this title. Of course, if you've missed the conversations, we talked men's contenders yesterday with USC men's tennis head coach Brett Macy. We talked about the biggest storylines heading into this event, and we've already seen the ways this global pandemic, COVID-19, is impacting this event. We learned today uh, that there will no longer be any fans on site for this French Open. That reporting uh, coming from, I believe, La Marsa uh, in France, and they're always on top of it. Quentin Moyet, uh, he, not, sorry, La Marsa, L'Equipe, uh, excuse me, in France. Quentin Moyet, uh, one of the best in the business. They've been on top of the story, and you know that's a factor. It's what we saw at the U.S. Open, but it's the changing guidelines, uh, how the players handle those changing guidelines, the adapting circumstances. Uh, that will continue to be a factor, and of course, we talk about which players we think will handle Handle that, which players we think are coming in with the best form, that and more. If you've missed any of that preview content, look here on the Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, you can find it all on our website, crackrackets.com. But with that in mind, let's get to my conversation with one of my favorites, Sandy Middleman. Joining us on the podcast today for the first time of what I will say is soon to be many appearances, you may know him for his work as a pro tennis coach these past 30 years, whether it be at IMG or now at the Middleman, or for Middleman Tennis, he is my friend, Sandy Middleman. Sandy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Alex. I love the introduction. Thanks. Nobody does it quite like you. Glad to be here. And uh, yeah, let's let's like jump into it. I'm looking forward to it. If I called you the pride of Pittsburgh Sutherland High School, would you have been upset? Wow, that's going back way too many years. <laughs> I actually had brown hair then and all of it. <laughs> um, uh, but you can feel free. I'm not sure there's about 268 other kids I graduated with. I'm not sure they'd agree with it. But you know what? <laughs> Who cares for them because they're not on this podcast. So let's just go with it. Exactly. As they say in our culture, Dainu, my friend. And of course, Lashana Tova to you. I hope you are both reflecting and repenting as this young oh, Tova man. approaches. <laughs> way, way too much of both, let me tell you. Way too much of both. I, my dad texted me. He goes, Happy New Year, Alex, as though trying to be clever like I would have forgotten. I was like, Dad, please, I am both reflecting and repenting on the credit card build I ran up on you all of those years. So, And he goes, "You," I was like, you are the only Adonai in my life. And he was like, that's better. Uh, Listen, it's, like, real, it's real simple with mom and dad. I learned a lesson a long time ago. Okay. Whenever it's an important holiday, just make sure the first thing you do when you wake up is send the text that I don't think that you needed a reminder. It's real easy. <laughs> Yeah, no, even on Tuba Shvat, I'm like, go trees. Um, <laughs> go yeah. Tree. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Didn't see this coming today, but it's good. I like it. Yes, exactly. We are starting on the right note. And, of course, the reason I wanted to have you here today to talk about this looming French Open, the third and final one of this Grand Slam calendar. And, look, we all knew it was going to be a condensed season if we were going to get any tennis back in 2020. But these past two weeks, we have seen that shift from 
um, hard courts to clay uh, manifest itself in some funky results on tour. Nevertheless, it's Grand Slam time, and so we know all of these players are going to be locked in what we're going to be doing today, naming the five women we both believe are capable of taking home this 2020 French Open title. Now, even before we get into, uh, you know, the names themselves, Sandy, I just kind of want to talk about that transition because obviously you have coached players going from the hard court swing to the clays. And normally there's, you know, a three week maybe adjustment period where even if you're playing an event right away, you have one bad loss. It doesn't really matter. You've got four, five, six more weeks to sort of work yourself into shape before the French Open starts. That's obviously not going to be the case this year. And so my first question to you is, how much do you think that will play a factor in this transition from the U.S. Open to the French Open? And, you know, how difficult will it be for players to make the shift? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, it's sort of like a lot of the unknowns, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, who's played how many matches? Who's played a lot of exhibitions? Who went to New York? Who's recovering from New York, right? Who spent any time on the clay? Who spent a lot of time on the clay but not played any matches, right? So there's so many unknowns where I think in this case this year, obviously for the obvious reasons and the unprecedented season, I think this year is like totally up in the air in terms of, I don't know, what you think, what somebody would perceive to be like an advantage, right? Or maybe a disadvantage, just because it's so open. And to be honest with you, one of the things, and I'm sure in your research and obviously your knowledge, I'm sure you, you have some idea of this, but one of the things that I've thought interesting just listening to people talk in the last week is that from what I know, and again, I'm not in it, so I don't, you know, I don't know specific details or very concrete things, but just from what I hear generally, you know, the bubble in Paris seems to be vastly different than the bubble in New York. And so, you know, who knows, like, how that affects anybody, right? Whether it be the top players or, you know, maybe some of the, you know, the mid-level players in ranking. And so it's a tough one. But, you know, look, I think at the end of the day, we all, anybody who understands the game, pays attention to it, dives deep into it, has been around the tour, understands that more often than not, the cream of the crop typically will rise closer to the top than everybody else, right? Not not always, not guaranteed, but it, it usually happens. That's, you know, that's my view. I mean, if you're thinking about the clay versus the hard, I think normally you have, uh, like you said, a certain time period, right, between. But I think in this case, because it's sort of flipped and it's so short, and also, too, I think that one thing that's very important is I think the weather's vastly different in Paris this time of year. Mm-hmm. So where maybe like a Rafa, you know, everybody knows he's just going to be playing super fast and super spinny, where in his case, maybe because the courts are maybe more damp and it's cooler and the balls aren't flying as much, I think stuff like that has maybe more of an impact than anything, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, we've even heard things such as the balls they're using this year are going to be a little bit heavier than years past. How might that play a factor? And, you know, you, you talk about some of these compounding factors as they add up. Uh, it's the fact that the bubble's going to be different. The fact that some of these players may have not, you know, played one, maybe two matches since New York, mm. if that, and they're coming in with no practice. And then, you know, there's this trend. I don't know if it's quite a trend. I think it was more uh, clear-cut on the men's side, the way we saw players like Shapovalov, Dimonauer, 
Igor, Zverev, Team, Medvedev, they're all Rublev, all of these young legs making deep weeks into the uh, deep runs into the second week, and they just seem physically to hold up really well. On the women's side, it was a little bit more of a mixed bag because, you know, when you have names like Parankova and Serena and Vika, those obviously aren't the 23, 24, 25 year olds you're looking for, but I suppose everyone heading into that U.S. Open had fresh legs, and yet, you know, you look at some of the quarterfinalists, Jennifer Brady, I think 24, 25 years old, Putin Seva, 25 years old, Naomi Osaka, 22 years old, Mertens, 24 years old. Do you think at this point, since it's been really six straight weeks of just go, 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 that maybe having the young, the fresh legs might make a difference? Or to your point, do you think the cream will still just rise to the top? Yeah, you know, that's it. you bring up a good point. I, I think it's a tough one. I think it's honestly like a coin flip because I never, I never underestimate the value of experience, right? Mm-hmm. Of like been there, done that, right? I think it's, I think it's undervalued. So, like in one way, you'd make the assumption logically that if somebody's coming in with fresh legs, right, that's an automatic advantage. But I don't necessarily think that's the case, and I think this year. You know, one of the things I think that does make a lot of sense in terms of maybe being an advantage is just that. It's like, okay, you know, who's had the experience of dealing with this, right? Who, who's who got the mental capacity, right? Who's got the matches, but, you know, in, and can deal with all the elements. And it's sort of, um, how would you say, um, I think the word of the word of the year is sort of accepting, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody is more accepting of everything around them and the circumstance they're in and the opportunity they have versus what it could be. I think accepting is a big part of it, right? So those things, those things can all be, you know, way like fresh legs versus experience, right? But then versus just that underlying, okay, this is what it is. This is what I've got, right? And this is what I believe I'm capable of doing if I just accept everything and, you know, and put it on go and play. So that might be interesting as well, how, how everybody accepts it. Yeah, I you know, the word acceptance is good. I also kind of like people who are calloused a little bit, who have played some tough matches. And, you know, a guy like Andre Rublev or the women's equivalent right now, in my opinion, Elise Mertens, it's like, yeah, mm. uh, they could play every week right now on tour, eight weeks in a row, and it's going to be the same effort for them because they're just in the zone. They're just at that point right now where physically, mentally, those two things are starting to coalesce beautifully, and they're playing their best tennis. At the same time, you know, you start to look at some of the other names you— as you wonder, you know, for Victoria Azarenka, of course, she a uh, really good run for her in Rome, and she's coming off of just an exceptional three weeks in New York. You know, it, it doesn't really matter that she only has one event. It feels like she's the sort of player who she can just kind of show up here, and she'll be just fine. You know, as we transition towards, I guess we can get into it now, our five women on the list, because <laughs> uh, this is really where I want to start. My fifth name here, a name I think you have to mention, and please, this is where I know you're going to take me to the Sandy, Sandy Middleman School. School of thoughts. <laughs> I have her in my top five, but it's All purely right. a pick out of respect, out of kissing the ring. I was raised well. Respect your elders. If they've done it before, you got to <laughs> notice that. You know, Serena Williams is that case. You're never going to bet Serena Williams at a major. Case in point, the U.S. Open, where she didn't play well the entire 
entire four weeks leading up to the event, and she still found herself in the semifinals. She still found herself a set away from making the final, putting herself in a position to compete for number 24. Now, for Serena, she hasn't played any matches on the clay this year, and, you know, does that really matter for her? I don't know, but it does also feel worth noting she lost early last year in the French Open. Now, that loss to Sophia Kennan, we know what she went on to do, but, uh, you know, clay the surface she has won her fewest majors on it doesn't mean she's bad on the surface just perhaps the one maybe she's most vulnerable is she in your top five in terms of players you think can win this event yeah she is in my top five but i'm gonna put an asterisk next to her name i love it for for two reasons one she gets an asterisk because she's serena right Mm -hmm. so for me Unless she comes out and she says, hey, listen, guys, I'm like, I've got one leg, right? I'm super sick. I just got out of the hospital. I can barely walk, but I'm going to show up and play anyways, right? Okay. Unless she says that, then she's always, every time she steps in the court and part of a draw, she's a contender, right? Always. Because she's Serena. You you know, you, you carry 20, whatever, 23 majors with you, right? Whatever the number is, plus all, you know, the funny part is, Alex, I'm just going to bring something out that very rarely do we ever talk about, right? I am always blown away by when people bring up records. Nobody ever talks about her doubles and mixed doubles in Olympics. Mm-hmm. All they do is talk about the number 23, right? Can she get to 24, right? And Tyre Margaret Court and all that. But for me, it's like, there's like, what, 35 of them? 40 of them with doubles and mixed, right? So anytime you bring that into a court, you got to be part of the conversation, right? But here's the other side of it. I think... Two things are factors with Serena. Number one, I think deep in her mind, and again, I'm not around her. I'm not surrounding her. I don't have conversations with her. So again, it's just purely a thought process, right? Mm-hmm. I believe that it's there's two things that play into all these majors with her. Number one is that if everybody stopped talking to her about the record, I actually believe she wouldn't think about it and she'd actually play better. That's number one. Number two, I actually really believe that the uh, she's putting so much pressure on herself. Forget about what everybody talks about all the time, okay, to get it. And I really believe that that has a certain weight when she gets to a certain place in the draw, right? Like maybe it doesn't mean so much in the first round or possibly the second, but when it starts shifting towards week two and you got players, girls that are out there that are maybe not intimidated by her like they used to be coming out, you know, believing they're going to win or can win. I believe that's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a flip in scale, right? Who's got the advantage or whatever it might be. And last but not least is I think the conditions may play a big role in what, what options she's got, because I think that the faster the courts are, the better it is for her. I think the slower they are, the more challenging it gets for her. Cause I think that she needs the speed and the bounce to maybe help out the weight and speed of her shots. Because remember, Serena doesn't exactly play with a lot of variety, right? She plays kind of one speed for me, one gear, and she if she has to, she can mix it a little bit. But she's basically, you know, going full, you know, full force, right, most of the time. So yeah, it's an interesting conversation with Serena. But like she, like I said, she's always got to be part of the conversation. 
Always. Yeah, it would just be foolish for anyone to write her off. And, you know, did I feel vindicated? I said she wasn't going to win the U.S. (laughs) Open. She didn't. Yeah, I felt a little bit vindicated at the same time. The second I saw that draw open up, I'm like, oh, man, Keys lost. Oh, man, Muguruza lost. Oh, man, she's going to get Azarenka in the semifinals, like a player she has played so many times. Did this just break beautifully for Serena? And, of course, I got really, really nervous. I was ready to be like, should I just hedge? Should I just start saying Serena on every podcast? Now, I didn't. I stuck with Osaka. But to your point, it's absolutely justifiable. And look for Serena Williams. I mean, has the French Open been her worst Grand Slam through the latter portion, I suppose, these last five years in her career? Yeah, it would be undeniable to say anything else. Her last two appearances, third round in 2019, fourth round in 2018. Now, she didn't play in 2017, and you go back to 15 and 16. She won the 2015 event. She uh, made the finals of the 2016 event, and, you know, you start to look at finals appearances since 2015. It's Serena and Halep tied for the first most with two. You take that back to 2010. It's Serena and Halep and Sharapova tied with the most French Open finals appearances at three. You know, you want to extend that to, well, what have her performances been in Madrid? What have her performances been uh, in Rome? In Madrid, the last four times she played, and, you know, it was 2012 through 2015, but it was win-win quarterfinal, semifinal. The last time she played in Italy, we'll go with the last five times, win-win third round, win second round. And so, to say it's her least successful surface, that's fine. But she's still really freaking good at it. I mean, you look in her career on clay, 174 and 35, 83% win percentage. If you're over 80% on a surface, you're one of the best to ever do it. And so I agree with you to to an extent. Like, if she plays her best tennis, of course she can win this event. I just think it's undeniable. The fact that she's been pushed to three sets in almost every match she's played in this August restart. The fact that... There are so many other players right now playing at a high level, and she's going to get seven looks at seven really good players, and it's just hard. You know, she beat Christiane in the first round. I think that's her first-round opponent here, but it's just if you're not playing your best tennis for two weeks, there are too many good players right now in the women's game. If you're Serena, who can just catch you on an off day and who I think can get over the hump, and so I agree. For all the reasons you said, she's number five on the list for me, and she needs to be mentioned here, but she is number five. Ooh, you are tough, man. You are going hardcore number five, huh? You're not even going to give her like the to top it. three. You're sticking to it. Well, um, I really like my number one. There's a gap between one and everyone else, and I also am entranced by my two, three, and four. Look, I'm, I'm stubborn. I don't know if you know that about me, but so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured that out a long time ago on day one. Um, yeah, no, look, I mean, uh, you know, when you, when, you, uh, when you reached out last night and talked about this and you asked me about the top five, I actually, to be honest with you, I didn't really put like an order specifically. I just said, okay, you know, who do I think would be my top five, right? If I'm just going to put a list together of who would I think, obviously Serena's going to be on the list, right? Okay, mm-hmm. because it takes a it take from anybody else and everybody else in a draw. 127 other girls are potentially six along the way in the draw, right? It mm-hmm. takes a pretty monumental effort from whomever it is to beat her. That's just a fact, right? Okay. Nobody's beating Serena Williams unless something super strange happens. I don't believe nobody's beating Serena Williams like, you know, one and one, right? Mm -hmm. Or two and two, unless they're really on and she's really off, which could happen. Okay. But so she's got to be on the list. I mean, I can tell you right straight, right away who my, who my heads and shoulders favorite is. All right. Let's do that next then. I think we're both going to agree on it. All right. I got to go with Halep. I just have to. (laughs) 
absolutely I, make the I case. Just, I just, I mean, you know, look, it's, you know, Simona is, Simone is Simona. She's always there. She's going to be in your face. She's going to be in your grill. She's going to fight. She's got a backhand from like the gods, especially the one down the line. And I just feel like she's done it enough, right? She's just done at this point. She's done it enough, right? And on top of that, I haven't even talked about the fact that what she's won, like, what is it? 14 straight matches or something. I don't know what the number is. Okay. I don't, uh, I don't keep every little stat like that in my head, but, <laughs> but I think she's got 14 matches in a row, three tournaments in a row, right? The last mm-hmm. three events she's entered, she's won them. Okay. So I'm sorry, but if somebody has got more confidence than Simona, if we want to do like a confidence test, right? Like a lie detector test. Okay. I would say the only person who could possibly have more or equal to would be Azarenka. Like Vika, she's got to be full of confidence in for her own reasons, right? Okay, but, you know, so, look, Halep's up there. Um, I also think that she's, in just terms of game, just pure game, I don't think the conditions will matter to her. Mm-hmm. I think with the legs and the skill that skill set she's got, and I think with her ability to do two things, one is obviously run and defend. That goes without saying. Signature. But I think that she's more of an offensive player than people believe she is. And I think that's got something to do with Darren Cahill as a coach. Can't say it's got all to do with him, but I think it's got something to do with him. But I just feel like if the conditions sort of, you know, um, if the conditions sort of create the environment where she feels like she needs to to win, she needs to defend a lot, like run a lot, be neutral, Mm -hmm. she can do it as well or better than anybody. If the conditions sort of say, hey, listen, open it up, right? get a little bit more aggressive, right? Take the ball on and try to hit through your opponent a little bit more. She can do it. And I also feel like, you know, it never hurts to have what 14 straight wins coming in. Right. So <laughs> I think you put, I think you put all that. And and then the, there's one other thing, which I think is also a factor. Um, I'm not sure if she would say this matters a lot, but I believe that the, you know, the way she's done what she's done in Paris, right? Like the match she had with Stevens, right? down so big and coming back and also those things are in your head right and everybody else knows it so for me no question about it she's the favorite so i'm curious to hear what your thoughts are no let's make the statistical case first because i completely agree with you you date back to it she she runs through that yeah she runs through the dubai draw you know she wins that and it it feels worth noting she also made the semifinals in australia she really could have beaten muguruza in Mm. that semifinal and then she gets to that final versus kenan who knows what happens but you know her one loss a good loss on the year not one to be ashamed of and it also feels worth noting that you know her last two titles have both come on clay she was one of the people who played in I think it was Prague Mm. before New York that match you know so she gets clay matches in there she then goes to Rome and I said on the pod if she made even the semi-finals I would consider her the favorite well she went ahead and won the event so yes (laughs) like I just think uh, just it's quantifiable she has been the best player in the women's game in 2020 when she shows up she's just been that good it's finals or better pretty much and then you look at her case for you know, she has legitimately been the best player in the women's game on clay over the last five years. And I already listed the French Open stats. She's made three finals since 2014. She won one of them. Uh, That's obviously as good as any other player in the game. But you start to look at some of the other big clay events. For Simona Halep, she's made the final in Rome three out of the last four years. Now, she won it this year, lost two finals in 27 and 18. But you then flip over to uh, Madrid, and 
She wins the Madrid final in 2016. She wins the Madrid final in 2017. She makes the Madrid final in 2019. She makes the Madrid final all the way back in 2014 as well. I mean, just look at the numbers. Look at the results. Simona Halep, if it's a major clay court event in the past five years, she's good for semifinals or better. So I just think it's foolish to pick against her. It's why DraftKings, our friends over there, have her as the odds-on favorite right now. Uh, And I think it's just the wise play to make because, you know, that's the the statistical argument. You got into the tennis side. I want to pick your brain here because I think the thing Simona Halep does best and it's best accentuated on clay court, her ability to change directions. She'll go Mm. down the line when she knows it's that time. She'll elevate a ball high over the net to buy herself time to recover. I just think her shot selection has always been the best feature of her game and on these clay courts it just it looks so beautiful yeah no you well first of all i love all those stats way to dig <laughs> way to dive dig. i love it love it diving deep way to go way to go where a few people go um <laughs> fantastic uh but yeah look i mean there's no question simona is i mean is in terms of a tactician in terms of just like a feel of the ball in terms of being able to hit spots on the court be a you know be a spot player and then in terms of being able to take a cross forehand and go down the line and just like, you know, hit spots on the court where you're like, you know, you know, how did she find that, you know, that inch and a half, right? Because that's literally about what it is, right? Inch and a half, give or take. Backhand, she's got a backhand from the gods. I mean, somebody plays cross inside out forehand or, you know, backhand cross and the way she takes the ball open stance and goes from outside the, you know, the, the alley up the line and hits the spot. Yeah, it's like ridiculous, right? Anybody would dream to hit that back end. Um, but I also believe to add to that, you know, I believe her lack of a hesitation in terms of when the point presents itself or the ball presents itself to step up, take it early and go. And then, you know, work on trying to finish with swing volleys or whatever it might be. I also feel like that's a huge part of it. Um, and like you said, I mean, look, the girl can move. She's smart out there. You can see she's sort of, you know, maneuvering herself around through points, right? And look, Simona is going to all, as long as the good Simona shows up mentally, right? And she's like locked in, focused, digging in, and, you know, like fighting in the good way versus fighting yourself. As long as that Simona is on the court, then it's going to require, I would say, something pretty special, right? Pretty unique. From any of the other potential six or you know, potential seven opponents, right, or any of the other girls in the draw, to beat her, just for obvious reasons. I mean, she's just got everything. Yeah, I, I, I just think she's the player in the draw who can most afford to have an off day and still get mm. through it. Because to your point, there's just so many different ways she can beat you. And this might be a simplistic way of looking at it, but curious what you think about this. I always say the difference between a good mover and a great mover on clay, a good mover slides out of the shot, a great mover slides into the shot. That's what Simona Halep does. And I, again, that's a really simple way of looking at it. But is that fair to say? She's just everything she does, her ability to read and react, on the surface it's just so different than so many of these players who may might just be big hitters and you can get a ball behind them or just she's just I, I guess it's so flexible in a way that so many aren't yeah no first of all love that what you just said we should actually create a podcast together with that title <laughs> you can we'll put it on a sli- shirt yeah you can either slide into it or you can slide after uh. it or away from it right <laughs> 
if you slide into the shot, we want you on the show. If you slide after <laughs> it, you haven't made it yet. That's just the way it is, ranking or not. Um, I love that. Uh, but yeah, like a- absolutely, there's no question about it. Look, it, there's a huge difference, right? A huge difference. And you can see it when you watch any of the guys or any of the girls, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody who's sliding into the shot, plays the shot, and then is balanced, based, and recover, right? Versus somebody who goes to hit the shot on the run like they would in a hard court, right? And then tries to slide after it or maybe even tries to maybe take that extra step or two, right, to recover. There's a huge difference in the two for many different reasons, not just for the ball they're hitting, but largely because of obviously the balance, obviously court position, obviously how much you're moving, how much you have to balance yourself, how much extra energy that requires over a period of time. And one of the things I think and I, I'm not sure how you see this. I'm curious to know your your view on it. One of the things I believe that's sort of undervalued when trying to win a tournament, right, over two weeks is all the all the top players, all the great girls and the great guys, or I'm sorry, some, somebody will get on my case with this, all the great women of the game and all the great men of the game, okay, will They're little probably, boys, but sure. Yeah, well, we'll go with that. Yeah, exactly. So I don't get, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't want to offend anybody. But okay, so... We'll go with that. But the point is, is that, that I think they'd all agree with this, okay? Mm-hmm. That there's there's a certain type of energy management requirement over the course of two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. To how much you move, how you move efficiently, right? How you create the best positions possible for yourself. Because obviously, first of all, we're talking singularly about the player, right? In this case, Halep, right? But we're by no means adding into the equation in the conversation something to do with maybe the opponent. Right. Because maybe the opponent plays a certain way. Maybe the opponent forces her to move in a different way than maybe the one before. Right. So all those things, I think, factor in. But you definitely have have the nail hit on the head, which is big difference between sliding into a shot and sliding after it. Yeah, I I just think it all gets back to, again, what is the margin of error you create for yourself? And for Simona Halep, yeah, there are ups and downs within specific matches, but she she can play a bad match and still win. And she's proven that Mm. so, you know, repeatedly over these past three years, arguably been the most consistent performer really since Serena came back from her uh, having her first child. And, you know, again, that's it's a credit to just you know the effort you're going to get from Simona Halep every time she steps on the court. It's why I agree with you. She's the unequivocal favorite heading into this event. Now, I still have three other names, the three players I think are most likely to push her. I know you have three other names as well. Let's go to your list next. Give me another name you are looking at as someone you think could take home this title. Elena Svitolina. Oh, love that pick. Make the case. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, you're classic. Okay, um, love it. You're part of the tribe. Um, okay, <laughs> all right. So Elena Svitolina. So uh, first and foremost, um, a game that's unbelievable for a clay court, right? Mm-hmm. Fast legs that strong, right? Can mm-hmm. run all day. Um, uh, probably, if you look at both sides of her game between the forehand and the backhand, I would definitely say the backhand is more of a strength. Okay. But by no means is the forehand a weakness. And the one thing I've always loved about Alina Svitolina's game is that she it doesn't matter the ball she gets. She's great at reading the play. And when she needs to hit a spot, I mean, the backhand is, like, unbelievable. If she needs to play deep cross, she plays deep cross. If she needs to play 
short cross, she plays short cross. If she needs to play with a little bit more spin or angle, she can do it. If she needs to change direction and go down the line, I mean, she just can hit the spots on the court, which is a little bit similar to Simona. They do it maybe a different way, but they, but it's still the same idea. Um, forehand, uh, again, she's great for me. She's great with just, I think, timing and also consistency and a little bit of variation. I think sometimes, and this is just strictly, obviously, uh, a professional coaching opinion, um, her coach very well may disagree, she may disagree, but in terms of just being able to go from that day one of the major and actually get to the final and cross the finish line, which she has yet to do, but definitely, I believe, capable of it, um, I believe that she needs to increase the offense by a couple percent on a pretty consistent basis in terms of how aggressive she is in the point, but less about how fast she plays and more about the positioning and the court she takes. Because if you watch Alina play enough, for me, she reminds me a fraction bit of her boyfriend, Gail Monfils, a mm -hmm. fraction bit mm -hmm. where everybody knows Gail is this like otherworldly extraterrestrial athlete that showed up on a tennis court, right? Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Like what he does, but, everybody's criticism and observation of him at the same time over years is why isn't he closer to the baseline? Why isn't he taking the ball earlier? Why isn't he making it easier on himself? Why? Because his default mentality and mode is to run and defend. And I kind of feel like that's a lean is a little bit. So for me, if she would just get that court position a little bit tighter, step up, maybe be willing to take a few more chances with like some down the line shots earlier in points and not maybe rely on, you know, something from the opponent as much or maybe more like okay i gotta hit it down the line because it's this happening then i believe that she puts herself in a different category now i feel like one area that maybe is challenging for her in the game is that she's maybe not the most comfortable uh coming up on her own volition to try to finish the net but i think she's pretty good at reacting and coming in sort of when forced in terms of being able to run up and and sort of defend from uncomfortable positions but I really feel like the one area where she really has to maybe um, increase it, um, increase its uh, uh, its level a little bit, a couple percent, is I feel like she's got to increase the service part mm -hmm. a lot. Because I think that with the girls, and you know this like I do, there's no difference in how we see it, is that the girls return so well, right? Most of so the better well. players so well. I mean, like both sides, I mean, you put it in the wrong spot and like see you later, right? You're on your horse and you're running from corner to corner quick and it's no fun. So I really feel like that second serve has got to be better positioned a little bit faster. And the first serve, the accuracy has got to be up higher versus maybe more centrally located and always maybe more towards the backhand side of each opponent. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I was watching Alexandrova Sinyakova yesterday because that's what mm. I do with my life. And, you know, there's just <laughs> Alexandrova hits, I think it was three return winners in a row. And I was like, is this the best player I've ever seen? I was just like, this is unbelievable how casual she's making these return winners look. And, you know, it's not just her. It's every player right now in the women's game. If you hang a second serve, you know, I'm going to swear for the first time, you're f***ed. You just are because there's nothing you can do. These players are so confident returning so able uh, to take control of points and you know for me that's my biggest concern with Svitolina because I agree I think that comparison you made I always like a cross-gender comparison between Monfils and Svitolina uh, they're both exceptional athletes they're both going to track down that extra ball they can turn defense into offense from uncomfortable positions behind the baseline uh, because that's just their gift and yet 
given there are just so many players right now in the women's game who can just blast you off the court and who have these combinations of power plus the ability to move as if they're you know a grinder able to move this fluidity that you just weren't you didn't used to see from power players and that's always my concern with Svitolina is she is such a tough out right she's capable of beating anyone but on an on another top contender's best day like say a Serena Williams or you know someone I'm trying to think of who's you know a Naomi Osaka on a hard court or a Sabalenka and we're not on hard courts we're on clay but they're they can just blast her off the court because they have slightly bigger weapons and even though Svitolina I think does do a good job using her athleticism to take balls early on top of the baseline not necessarily move forward but take time away from her opponents she doesn't hit the heaviest ball and she turns into every shot she's given 110 percent on every ground stroke and yet it just seems like players can survive against her put themselves in a position to succeed she's also one of those players who really hasn't played that many matches of late although she's gotten a ton under her belt these past two weeks I have her in tier three. She was my oh, number six. Shit. So she was my number. <laughs> she was my number six. You know, I have five players. She was my number six. But okay. I, I, I mean, I, she's the number three seed. I don't know if you've looked at the draw, Sandy. Her section of the draw is the most ridiculous quarter you could give to any player. In fact, let me pull that up now, just so I can read that to you for Alina Svitolina. A little bit of context here, and we're staying live, Westoff. Leave all of this in. But you look at these women's draws. I mean, you look for the fellow seeds she has in her section. Listen to this list. Serena Williams is the sixth seed. She's also got Azarenka, Kontave, Mertens, Alexandrova, Putinseva, and Stritskova, all in her section of the draw. That's just a murderer's row to me. <laughs> well, look, I mean, you know, I agree with everything you said. I mean, that's a that's that's a rough, that's a rough section. Um, yeah. I, I think that you've touched on one thing I think is interesting, and then I'm going to throw a curveball at you, okay? Yes. A super big curveball, just because I know how much you love it. A and Sandy love, Koufax and, curveball. Uh, listen, is there any other kind? Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I love this stuff. So um, if Jensen was on this with us, he'd be going back and forth with me. He'd be like all over me about this, okay? But I don't <laughs> care because this is my time. So we're going to jump right in. Um, first of all, yeah, there's no question it's a brutal section. Um, you touched on something I think is interesting, and I think it's highly overrated um, in terms of when you talk about when you break down draws, you look at players, you look at like what their strengths and maybe what their weaknesses are, maybe what, what they've been doing coming in, right? That's the usual talking point. What matches they've played, who they've beaten, what their results are. All that kind of stuff, surface, all that stuff. But I think what you said trumps it all. And honestly, I don't really want to talk about politics and Donald Trump. I don't want to go there because it's not a good conversation with me. So we'll just leave it at it trumps it all. Okay, so I believe the most undervalued thing is what does – we'll use Alina Alina Spitalina as the example because we're talking about her, right? Mm -hmm. What does Alina do on the one or two days or possibly and probably three – out of 14 that she wakes up and everything is wrong. Mm-hmm. What does she do? Because if she can find solutions to the finish line and winning match point on those days, then there's no question. Does she have the skill? It's not even a conversation. She wouldn't have won all the tournaments she's won, right? She won the world tour. She, she's done basically everything in the game that somebody growing up would want to do, right? Okay. Be at the top of the sport, make a lot of money, win a couple of the biggest tournaments, right, or a few of the biggest tournaments in the world, she's done it all. The two two things she hasn't done, number one, she hasn't been to a finals of a major, and obviously without being in the finals, you can't win it, 
right? So those are the two things she has done. So for me, whether it's Alina or it's, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Halep or if it's Serena or if it's Azarenka, any of those players, like Serena and Azarenka, and we'll use Kennan as an example, okay? We'll throw, we'll throw Sophie in there because she won Aussie Open. Mm-hmm. Look, bottom line is anybody who wins a major, they got to wake up every day and they got to figure out a way to find solutions when everything is not perfect because it's not going to be. Whether it be the opponent, the conditions, maybe more importantly than all those, how they feel, how bad their toast was burnt in the morning. Did they have to wait for the car? Did it aggravate them? Did they get put on a court they don't want to be on? I mean, honestly, if I went down the laundry list of why people don't feel good before they get in the court for a match, you'd be shocked. And so would everyone else, everyone else be listening. You'd think, oh, they're pro athletes. Don't trust me. Believe me. They find the problem. The coffee wasn't warm enough at the hotel. Seriously? <laughs> you know, so it's like everything, right? You try to make everything perfect, and believe me, it's so far from it. So the question is, when they get out there and they don't feel good and there's problems on the court, what do they do to solve it? That's the bottom line. So with that, here's my Sandy Koufax, Sandy Middleman curveball. Okay? okay? I can't wait to see where you take this. This is going to be a three-hour <laughs> show. Okay. <laughs> I believe, and I'm going to stand by my word, that the two players that could give everybody make the mo, mo, life the most difficult for everybody else in the tournament aren't in the draw. Oh, or here two, it is. I'll give you, or I'll give you three of them. So am I about to get the? Am I about to get the five minutes on Andrescu I've been looking for? Uh, you're not going to get five minutes, but I'm going to go down the list. <laughs> Obviously, Osaka's decided not to play. Mm-hmm. It goes without saying that she'd be one of the threats, right? Mm-hmm. No question about it. Okay. And because of the way she plays, clay or not, she makes life pretty miserable for a lot of girls, right? Because mm-hmm. she plays so fast, and she could turn balls that you know you don't really expect into offense quick, right? I mean, it's almost like ball machine torpedo speed, right? So mm-hmm. she creates problems. The second is Barty. I mm-hmm. think Ash makes life really complicated for a lot of people simply because she's got this unbelievable variety, right? Like few girls do. And she can rely on it. And girls like rhythm, right? Most of the girls, not everybody, but most of the girls rely and base their base, what they feel, on rhythm. She's not going to give it to you. So I think that she'd be really brutal. And obviously, Andrescu, I think, is brutal for a lot of reasons because I truly believe when she's, when, not if, when she's healthy and when she's in the draw, I believe she's the turn, the player to beat for many different reasons. But she's not there. Neither is Ash Barty and neither is Naomi Osaka. So with all that being said, I I look at Svitolina, and we were talking about her. Honestly, she's got a great shot, right? Regardless mm-hmm. of the draw, she's there. So mm-hmm. we see. So who's your uh, – you said – you said uh, who did you say was your sixth pick? Who so your other... Svit- so yeah. uh, let me just quickly on the Svitolina thing because <laughs> I think you nailed it there. What I enjoy about her – yeah, come on. You you gave me too much bait there. I'm, I'm the fish. I'm going to bite every time. Um, yeah. But for Svitolina, that, that's it, the way her – the different tools she has in her toolbox, whether it's just making a match physical, whether it's taking balls early. She does have plan B, plan C, plan D. And, you know, is her plan A that beautiful Porsche the way Naomi Osaka is? No, but when she can, she can be at an 89% 
50% on a bad day more frequently than her opponents can on their bad days. And I think that's something that bodes well for her. Now, the problem is, it's just, you know, again, what is plan A for if every If all of her opponents are playing their best tennis, then what does she do? If she's playing a Muguruza or an Azarenka, who, spoiler alert, those are two of the names uh, that are about (laughs) to come up, you know, can she beat them on their best days? I don't know about that. And then to this point on plan B, I, I think it's brilliant. And the player case in point who stands out as someone who it, it's happened every Grand Slam of her career. There's one bad match. She doesn't have that plan B. Her plan A is a brand new Ferrari, fully loaded. The oil is greased <laughs> up and ready to go. You're going from 0 to 70 in the snap of your fingers. That's my fourth player on my list, a finalist in Rome, someone who has been sneaky good on clay throughout her career. That's Karolina Pliskova, who I want to talk mm. about next because she is the polar opposite of Svinolina. She is, hey, if plan A's on for two weeks, I'm winning this event. She can show, she's shown, you know, that level of performance in her career. It's why she's been number one in the world. It's why she's reached, I believe, a Grand Slam final in her career. It's because, you know, when she plays her best tennis, she has been that good. And you look for her in her career, 2017, she made the French Open semifinals. I believe she's also won at least one title on Rome, or in Rome during her career. I think she's the number two seed in this event, and obviously not the U.S. Open, not the New York run she wanted, but I kind of like her. I, I just, <laughs> I, I, I feel like in a year where everything is all, you're right, it's everything's funky. We're seeing the first Grand Slam champion on the men's side, a new Grand Slam champion since 2014. Doesn't it feel like 2020 would also be the year then that Karolina Pliskova wins her first title? Yeah, you know, you bring up some interesting points. I love the Ferrari go, the Ferrari <laughs> thing. Uh, it's great. Uh, we can talk about that for like six hours. This would be like a <laughs> world record show. Um, yeah, but look, I, you bring up an interesting point with Pliskova. I mean, look, you know, obviously, look, she's six foot one, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Six foot, six foot one, whatever it is. Obviously, she's got the height, uh, you know, beautiful, great serve, right? Great mm-hmm. serve. Um, I've always felt like, Carolina, and interesting, I'm just going to bring up a side note with Carolina, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple years back, and to be honest, at this point, I don't remember when it was, so uh, <laughs> the only thing I can rem- the only thing I can tell you is I remember exactly where I was when I had the conversation, but I don't remember when it was. I had actually uh, a, a couple conversations with, with her then, uh, her then fiancé, uh, who's now her husband. It's uh, also her sort of manager, right? Uh, we got connected, and we were talking just a little bit about Carolina, her game, but just about some other things. And, you know, after talking to him and hearing about stuff she's, you know, she's working on and, you know, all that stuff, you know, I've always felt I always felt something was interesting about Carolina. For me, she needs to be a more offensive player. She just Mm -hmm. does. I mean, like she, you know, technically, I mean, she hits a ton out of the ball, right? She hits a huge forehand, huge flat backhand. She can hit slice on the backhand. Like she will do it. She just, it's not the go-to play, right? It's not the mix it in play. It's like, okay, this is maybe not working. Let's mix in a little slice or I have to slice. I always also feel like she's got pretty good volleys, but she just never comes up. So Mm -hmm. I've always felt like, look, if she started to maybe try to take those second serve returns of all the girls, which are, you know, oftentimes maybe weaker, right? Uh, Than maybe like a Serena or somebody else, okay? Mm -hmm. I believe if she took those second serve returns and she got a little bit more aggressive with her court position and she took those balls and she ripped them deep down the middle or came in, I think she'll change the way the girls play her. 
And then she'll maybe start getting uh, like some double faults. She'll start getting different kinds of looks. She'll start getting chance to get closer to the baseline. But I kind of feel like if she's the six foot one big serving, uh, you know, ripping ground stroke type player, right? But she plays more neutral to almost sometimes a little bit defending in some cases tennis. I believe it gets challenging for her. But if she goes more a little bit, dare I say, out of her comfort zone a little bit, which is maybe more offensive-minded, better court position, looking to transition, take a ball up the line and follow it in when the opportunity presents itself or looking for an opportunity, I believe, yeah, I don't think there's any question. Look, you don't you do not do what she's done in the game. Being a grand semifinal, I believe she lost to Kerber that year in three mm-hmm. sets. Um, you, don't, you don't do that stuff unless you're capable, right? But getting to match seven and actually winning match seven, right? They're vastly different places. Just ask Mr. Uh, Mr. Team, right? Ask Dominic. Getting to match seven and actually winning match seven is vastly different. And everybody, you know, and all the girls, I think, and all the, all the women and all the men will tell you the same, right? Until you actually get to the finals and then actually get over the hump and win match point, you don't actually know what it really feels like to do it. So I feel like, yeah, there's no question she's got a, you know, she's got a puncher's chance. No question about it. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, look, Carolina Pliskova, if you can, if fans remember that 2019 Australian Open, the one Naomi won, she had a three-set win over Serena. Mm. Then she had Naomi in that match. I mean, it was spectacular tennis, that semifinal, a three-set win for Osaka. And, you know, mm. uh, to your point, ask Alex Virov. He came two points away from a Grand Slam. Oof. I'm sure he has Oof. never felt further from a title in his life. Oof. And, like, oh. yeah, you, yeah, exactly. You just, you know, while we're doing cross-gender comparisons, for Pliskova, <laughs> I always just have thought the most apt comparison is a slightly you know a better version for the women's game of Tomas Burdich there's just a Mm. a stiffness about both of them it can get a little bit robotic and the ground strokes it's overwhelming power when they make clean contact there it's going to look as beautiful of a ball as anyone but the side to side the fluidity it's just it's never been there for her and obviously on a clay court there's going to be a matchup where you have to get fluid and for me her win in Rome over Marketa Vandrusova who's going to move the ball around the court who's going to play loopy highly elevated mm. shots that was such a, a confidence inspiring win for me from Pliskova because she is someone if you can get her out of her strike zone it looks a lot different than when she can play clean dictating tennis that being said, she's one of those people who I think, if she's playing her A game, she's someone, one of, again, one of, I guess I'll include Serena, one of four people who can actually beat Simona Halep, whose top level is good enough to beat even a Simona Halep playing her best tennis. Yeah, no, look, I, you know, you make a lot of good points. I love that uh, that uh, thought you brought up about uh, the match with uh, Marquetta, you know, because mm-hmm. if you watch, Mar- if anybody watches Marquetta play, I mean, it was so spinny, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like for me, actually, I think you could you could make a draw a great comparison with Marquetta to Patty Schneider back in the day, mm-hmm. because Patty Schneider lefty, super spinny, super heavy, big roundhouse swing, but it's like it didn't matter because it's like you'd think, wait, why can't somebody break that forehand down, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like the girl was like what top ten, top five, yeah, exactly. And I mean, she, she was like amazing. I mean, like she, literally nobody wanted to play that lefty forehand. So I think. Marquette is the same way. And, and to be honest, I think the way you brought up, like the way she handled that, I thought showed a lot. I think you're exactly right. And look, there's no question. If she brings her A game, right? If she shows up with her A game or she brings her A game out, 
at like when the moments matter, right? Because we always talk about the moments, right? When is the moment matter? And when she, if the moment matters and she brings her A game out and she's got that hit, you know, that, that, those, that strike zone and she's ripping the ball one way or the other way, I think there's no question what she's capable of. But I love that comparison to Burdick because, listen, he had an unbelievable career. There isn't a kid right now in the world, especially in the Czech Republic, that's growing up that's 8, 9, 10 years old that doesn't know who uh, Thomas Burdick is, right, or was before he retired. And there's nobody that would say, listen, if you could sign, you can sign right here and have his career. They wouldn't sign, right? Yeah, I, I mean, agree. Amazing, like what is it? Four thirty million dollars in prize money, top five or seven or eight for like what is it? Eight nine years, whatever the number was, right? Played everything, did everything, right? Got to the final of a slam. What you know, all the things he did, right? Is everything more than what any kid dreams will ever be able to do, right? But there's that emphasis on the word you. What you use two words, stiff. Right. And a little bit robotic. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you bring along when you bring along guys at the top, like the, you know, like the Rafa's, right. Like Novak, it's like Gumby. Right. Like from another planet (laughs) in the corners. You bring you bring Roger who can like, you know, he could like look like he's got tap dance shoes on. Right. Like the court's out underneath them. Right. Even when he's like stressed at like five all in the fifth and it's like five hours. The guy looks like he hasn't started warming up yet. It's like, okay. really is he human should we get a doctor out here to test his sweat <laughs> levels um but yeah you're right like Th- thomas always had to do that extra work right mm-hmm. to bring that game to a place and i want to use a phrase is the player able to be comfortable being uncomfortable because like i think to your point when you brought up muguruth i think right you brought up uh you brought up muguruth and a couple others and i believe that like Look, if you get to a certain place, like a Pliskova gets to a certain place or, or you know, uh, Muguruza gets to a certain place and you're playing them, right? Mm-hmm. Honestly, at some point, if you want to win those matches and get to that next step, right, the, the final or win, you're going to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable and you're going to have to bring something in your A game that you're not used to bringing, which means it's like your A-plus game, mm-hmm. a game you don't have to usually bring out and rely on, but you're going to have to. So that's my thought on that. No, I completely agree with you. I think Pliskova is going to be an interesting one to watch. Again, a benefit of the fact that she's quietly the number two seed in this event. And I think, you know, that that obviously pays dividends as you get into the third, fourth round. And the key for her is, can she find that plan B? Can If, if everything's not going right, whether it's moving forward more frequently, whether it's, you know, taking bi- bigger chances on her return of serve, it just, she always seems to find herself down and, or just one bad performance and she gets knocked out of the tournament. She never seems to be able to dig her way out of that day, whereas you say things just aren't going right for her. So she's someone to watch. I have two more names. I think we can do one of them quickly because we all know what a successful Victoria Azarenko looks like, especially mm. given the way she's performed formed uh, these past, what, four weeks in a row now? I mean, she's on your list, right, in the five players who can win? Come on, man. We're from the same tribe. You know she's on the list. <laughs> well, you know, our relationship with Belarus has always been suspect. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, Azarenka is – I mean, she's just – everything's working for her, right? Like, it's – I swear to God, there was a point, I don't know, through, like, the second – it's just – she's just like, are you going to miss? Do you want to miss yeah. it all today? Oh, I guess you don't. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you miss, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring up Vika because, look – I've always felt if you, you know, like if people watch Vika careful enough, especially when she played Serena, right? That match, okay? Two things stood out to me. 
Number one, look, they've got history, right? They played a lot of times, even though Serena's won most of them. Like she wins with pretty much everybody else, right? So it's not like a, it's not like an anomaly, right? It's not a con against you because Serena does that with everybody else she plays against for the most part, right? But she, Vika, reminded me in that match of two people. One was the girl that came up and got to number one and won all the tournaments she won and won the two majors, right? Okay, the confident girl, right? The girl not searching for the game, but no, she's got it and she's owning it, right? That's one thing. But then on another note, she reminded me a little bit of Novak. Mm-hmm. Because the first thing I thought about when I was, you know, I was talking about this, I was on a couple of the shows on Tennis One, and you know those guys well, amazing people. And we were talking a little bit about this, and I was predicting. They were asking me for my predictions every day. And I was saying Zverev on the men's side. I stuck with it. Everybody thought I was crazy. Everybody went with Medvedev. And he was so close. Oh, my God. So close to making me look really good. <laughs> Jeez. All you had to do was win two points. For the love of God. <laughs> um, but anyways, good job, Dominic. Anyway, so putting that aside. Um, but, you know, I, I looked at I looked at it as a rank. And I, and I said, everybody, watch, watch how often. Watch the down the lines. Mm-hmm. Right? She's not going to get into that repetitive what a lot of girls do, which I think is crazy, right? Especially against Serena, okay? She's not going to get into that, let's go cross, let's go cross, let's go safe, right? No, she's going to change a lot. And that's exactly what she did. It was like two cross, change line. Two cross, change line, right? Non-stop making a run. And it reminded me a lot of Novak. So I'm not sure how you saw that. But look, if Vika takes that game to the clay courts, that game's effective against anybody. Yeah, no, it's it's not just the down the lines. It's like the half volley pickups as well. Just it's like <laughs> yeah. everything just is just freaking dropping in for her, and it's a credit to her. Again, the, you can't teach confidence, and she's mm. got it right now in spades. And when you are confident, you're like, again, I'm gonna swear here. F- I'll go down the line, like right, now, like why not, right? Like it's open for me, so might as well do it. And like that's how she's playing right now with that sort of mentality, and it's delightful to watch. It's palpable as a fan, even if we're not in the stadium. You can absolutely feel her energy just on the court, and so yeah, it doesn't matter where she draws the uh, where she goes in the draw. The fact that she's, I think, a number eleven seed now, that feels much more accurate than her being unseeded. But she's absolutely a player who, if she plays her best tennis, there's no denying she can win this event. Uh, quickly, just a follow up uh, for you know, again, relationship with DraftKings. Going to plug that as frequently <laughs> as I can. DKNG.co/slash/cracked open. The listeners know, but oh, I woke God. up in the morning of the men's final. And I'm a big Alex Zverev fan because I'll continue to say there are 10 minutes in every Alex Zverev match where you're just like, I've never seen any human in the world do that on a tennis court before. How did he do that? How can I learn it? How can we get him to do that every time? Um, But I woke up that morning and, you know, I was very much steeped in the conversation. I call my former doubles partner, another fellow member of the tribe, Max Rothman. I'm like, Maxie, everyone's on the Dominic team bandwagon. Like, I'm telling you. I'm feeling Zverev in five. Like, this just feels like it's going to be an ugly match. They're like, Zverev now has no more pressure on him. I see on DraftKings, 12 to 1 odds if we take Zverev to win in five sets specifically. Let's throw a unit on it and see what ha- see what happens. Two points away. He's two points away, Sandy. <laughs> two points away from me being able to buy myself a beautiful Hanukkah gift for the parents. Oh, my, 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 my dear Hanukkah friend. Oh, my God. <laughs> I I picked him. I picked him from the round of 16. I told everybody every day, I'm sticking with my pick. I'm going with Zverev. Everybody's like, oh, team. Oh, Medvedev. You know what I mean? I go, I'm like, no, I'm sticking with Zverev. And I knew everybody thought I was nuts. 
And so we start watch. I start watching the match. I'm sitting back, I'm just chilling. I'm like, okay, this is good stuff. <laughs> I've got my drink. I got my food. I'm like, oh, this is the this is a Jewish man's best friend. I've got my big screen. <laughs> I'm watching the match, and I'm like, okay. I'm like, it's you know, he's off to a good start. He's being super aggressive, right? He's looking to move forward. He's taking the ball early. He's going after the forehand. He's ripping the backhand down the line. He's finishing it in that. I'm like, I'm like. Hello to the game plan being executed. Way to draw it up and execute it, right? Keep yeah. on doing it. Dominic Team, you could put a cruise ship on the other side of the net. He couldn't hit it. He was just <laughs> in that place. He literally he couldn't run and he couldn't hit the cruise ship. Big problems. Okay. First set. Second set. Oh, here we go. We're up a set. We're up two sets. Oh, party's looking good. It's getting ready. Warm the champ cold the champagne up. Let's go. <laughs> and then the next thing I know, he starts getting a little bit defensive. He starts getting a little bit let's wait and see what happens. The old's Vera in the corner, like back by the backstop, right? Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, please no God, please no. Okay. And then team <laughs> comes back and wins the set. Team comes back and wins the next set. But here's the thing. I don't know how you saw the match when you watched it, but I honestly believe that if he had sort of kept the position in the court and the aggressive offensive mentality and execution two different times in the match for about an extra three to five minutes, he's the U.S. Open champion. But for me, there were two different times in the match where he got you know, physically, right, back behind the baseline, but also mentally and sort of structurally, he got like passive and weighted, right? Yeah. No, I mean that was it. Yeah, he served for the match five three in the in the fifth, but honestly was not surprised. Like in that game, I was like, no, he didn't deserve the hold. He was never going to hold there. <laughs> the one where he should have gotten over the finish line was in the third set because in the third set he had numerous breakpoint chances. He was being aggressive. Team, as you mentioned, you know, couldn't find if he's hitting against the wall. He's like he he's missing. It's just like it's horrible. You're missing the wall. You're chasing that tennis ball down the field, and you're like, shoot, I'm in trouble here. And yet he wasn't able to get you know i feel like i feel about zverev the way you do about andrescu i just think and it and it hasn't happened yet and obviously the presence of djokovic and nadal will make things difficult for him always but there's just a world where if it all clicks for him he's just better at this game than anyone anyone else like just all the tools you put the pieces you put the physical package together and you know I I don't think Jez Green gets enough credit for turning Alex Zverev into this physical specimen if you followed him closely these past three years he had this long lengthy frame and shortly you know uh, slowly but surely they've added the right sort of muscle to that frame while allowing him to stay nimble to stay fluid and I just I mean he hits a 125 serve out wide on the deuce that's the hardest thing in tennis to do to hit that serve that hard it's just like it hasn't clicked yet I know we're off topic here it hasn't clicked yet but but it will like I'm just so sure that it will yeah it, you know it's when you talk about Zverev it's you know it's really interesting because look when you when you're when you're in his position I, I always kind of go back to this when I talk about players right it's so easy to sit anywhere and you know, kind of give the breakdown, right? What you know they should do, what they shouldn't have done, why they shouldn't have done it, why they should definitely do it, what will make them successful, all this stuff, right? But when you've been talked about like Zverev has for the longest time, right? What I was telling people like before the tournament or during the tournament, I was telling everybody, and the reason why he's my, you know, he's my pick is, look, 
the guy's been what three in the world or top five or six for what four or five years yeah right the guy's made like 25 million dollars in prize money the guy won the world tour finals he beat federer and Djokovic on back-to-back days to win it i'm sorry but how many people in the last 20 years can say they did that okay so not many i don't know the list is pretty short right may not even exist but it's pretty short um but the point is is look He's obviously got the game. My thing would be this. I believe this is, the, for me, the sort of the outlier in the conversation to him actually starting to hold those trophies, right? A little bit, like one, maybe two, maybe three, whatever it might become, okay? Because I definitely believe he's capable of at least multiple. What multiple actually looks like in terms of a number, I have no idea. But definitely multiple means more than one, okay? Uh, maybe, maybe two or more, three or more, whatever it becomes. There's at least more than one. But I believe if he spent maybe i don't know what the percentage would be but a, a good majority of his time focused on three things during his off season and we don't even know what an off season is going to look like right now right mm-hmm. it could be longer than usual who knows what it's going to be okay but i believe if he got his practice working on three things i believe it would be a game changer number one i would work on just transition shots and finishing at the net right volleys transition shots just get used to doing it for hours a day right that's one thing Obviously, I think he's got to work on the second serve, but I also think one other thing he should do is start focusing on taking the ball earlier on the second serve return, ripping it and coming in. I think if he added those three things to an already, like, you know, an already pretty formidably built skill set, right? And the athletic ability on the, when you see him go into the full sprints from like the baseline to one, you know, to the net. Six six, you're like, damn, that guy can move, right? Like, yeah. how many people move like that? I mean, it's amazing. And to your point, Jez Green with the physical stuff, unbelievable job. Same guy that worked with Andy Murray for years and all that stuff. So yeah, look, I mean, there's no question what he's capable. But and look, this time he got within what, two points? Yeah, right. No, it, I mean, two it, points it, is better than the semis, right? And the quarter. So two points is like you're literally breathing down the cusp of holding the trophy, right? So you just need that extra, what is it? What that extra, you know, the extra, like literally I believe that extra like five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Five minutes of that aggressive mentality, right? Pushing it a little bit, right? Because if you look at team, and I remember this, team couldn't hit the broadside of a, uh, a cruise ship, right? Yeah. And, he, and he said that in his interview, right? He couldn't literally do anything. He was so uptight and so nervous and so stiff and whatever. He literally couldn't do anything. Couldn't hit the ball. But... After a while, what did he start doing? When he started to get a little confidence and get a little free, right? He started to get into it a little bit. What did he start doing? He got more aggressive, more offensive, right? And without hesitation. And I think that he stayed that way throughout the match, even if it was tight, right? He still was going to that, which I think is a lot of the reason why he's been successful. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, Zirev is the only human on a tennis court who will hit a backhand down the line, and I'll say, oh, my God, that might have been better than Djokovic's. Like, the way he just turns into it, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you do that. And, you know, again, this is for the men's. I'm not going to tell anyone in the preview and the write-up for this pod that we do a nice little 10-minute segment on Zverev because I feel like anyone who listens to one of these shows know there's always a possibility for that to happen because, uh, you know, it's your first time on the show, but I promise you time two will also include a Zverev conversation. But, like, yeah, I mean, the guy is just it, – it's a matter of uh, – for me, it's it's when, not if. It's when sure. because sure. you can't put – you don't put up these sorts of results this early in your career. You know, he's still only 23 years 
years old. And it's like you don't have that sort of success and then not go on to uh, at least a major title. Now, is it going to be 10 Grand Slams? No, but we've been spoiled by the fact that we saw Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal all do that simultaneously. Uh, that doesn't usually happen in professional tennis yeah, men's or women. So, like, you know, if he gets to five, six, yeah, like, that's yeah. freaking ridiculous, let alone yeah. one, two, or three. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll climb that mountain when we get there. But one last name I want to throw at you, and then we can wrap Please. today's pod. The uh, name we've sort of alluded to a bit, but just, you know, she would be in my top five, finish it out, is Garbine Muguruza, uh, who obviously is a former French Open champion. You look for her. She was injured. Uh, really coming into New York, so she didn't have that much time to play in the warm-up. Now, she lost her match to Parankova there, but we saw what Parankova went on to do. Speaking of people who didn't miss for two weeks, I swear to God, we had a podcast <laughs> titled, Does Parankova Actually Miss? Because I think I watched three straight matches, Vekic and Muguruza and whoever she played afterwards, and she just didn't miss. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I wish I could do that. Um, but, you know, for Garbine Muguruza, you look at what she has done of late semifinals in Rome. That was a really good result for her and she got good wins over Coco Goff, you know, Joe Conta. She beat Vika in three. She was down and out against Halep but ended up extending that match to a third set. Even her straight set win over Sloane Stevens. Sloane not playing her best but still that's a good win. I think she's a player who, you know, finalist at the Australian Open this year. That's a result you forget about because it was a lifetime ago. But, you know, after that, she lost a three-set match to Jen Brady in the quarterfinals of Dubai. We know what Jen Brady's gone on to do. She lost a three-set quarterfinal in uh, Qatar to Ash Barty. We all know what Ash Barty is capable of. I... Had this season not been paused, I think Garbine Muguruza would have been a top five player, would have been a big part of every conversation. She's only 25, 26 years old. 26 years old, I think she is still very much in the prime of her career. I think she's one of those players who can do it all. Her size, her agility, her fluidity, her power. It's just, she's the complete package. She's one of those players, again, if she plays her best tennis, she can absolutely beat a Simona Halep. Yeah, you know, you. it's actually interesting you brought her up because she was actually, truth be told for everybody who listens to this, she was in my, she was in my group of dark horses. Ooh. So I actually, yeah, so I actually had, I think the fifth one on my list uh, for potential favorites is, uh, was Kennan. Um, and, and, and I only, I'll, I'll touch on why I put Kennan in my list of top five, and then I'll share my thoughts on Muguruza. So the reason why Kennan's in my top five is simply, A, she is top five in the world um unless the rankings have changed which i don't believe they have uh but more importantly than that i just kind of feel like for me if you put if you put the top 10 girls into a room and you say which one of these three you know two or three girls right okay would you want to put out there in terms of a competitor right okay to dig in under any circumstance okay no matter what and try to work through bad situations. I would think that in terms of a competitor, you'd put Kennan, right, in that group. She's just mm-hmm. an unbelievable competitor, right, which is largely a reason why she's up where she is. And on top of that, I mean, like a backhand from another place, right? Amazing backhand, okay? I mean, she does everything pretty well um, or much better than average, but the backhand is just in a different place, okay? Um, and she's, for me, she's to some degree fearless, right? She, like, loves the fight, loves the stage, right? Loves the combat. So that's the reason why you know that's the reason why I put uh, Cannon in there. But in terms of in terms of your 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 pick, Muguruza, look, when you've won two majors, you obviously got to be in some kind of category, right? Okay. But I also kind of feel like 
for everything that she's already achieved in the game, I kind of feel like for me, if it gets a little bit tough or somebody gets in her grill a little bit, or maybe she's a little bit off or things aren't going like, you know, like maybe the way she sees them or wants them or believes they should be. I kind of feel like she has a little bit of Andy Murray in her. She goes a little I bit like into that. the she goes a little bit into the mumble tank, as Paul uh, to uh, to quote uh, Paul Anacone, the mumble tank. Okay, um, I've heard Paul say that on the tennis channel quite a few times. So <laughs> she goes into that place, and you can see it in her eyes, and you can see it in her reactions. And I just kind of feel like if somebody steps up to the place, up to the plate, and is playing her, and is like really pushing at her, right, really competing with her. Then I feel like I don't know. I feel like yeah, her odds go down a little bit. Like she's not really like you know, she's like maybe in the next wave of three, four, five girls, but maybe not quite in that you know that upper upper echelon. But look, when you won two majors, like we said, right? You've won two majors, so you actually know what it's like to do it, right? So you can't discount you if she's healthy and she's you know feeling halfway decent. Then you got to kind of throw her into the conversation. Yeah. No, I mean. To your point on Kennan, she's right next to Svitolina in Tier 3. I have Svitolina—just Svidal- quickly, I'll go through my Tier 3. Svitolina, Mertens, Vondrusova, Kontave, Kennan, you know, Kanta, Burtons, Sabalenka, and then my pet favorite, Martic, just because I love Petra Martic's game. I'd also probably throw Putin <laughs> Seva in that part of the list. Those Ooh. are all players where it's like, yeah, you could make a deep run. If you see a Putin Seva in a quarter or semifinal, it shouldn't shock you. Uh, it would surprise me if one of those Tier 3 players got over the finish line. But no, I I completely agree with you about Muguruza. I would say that was her tendency prior to 2020. I just have been so impressed by her in 2020. And I believe she brought on a new coach. Um, the name's slipping uh, right now from my head. Former Grand Slam champion. Is it Conchita Martinez? Oh, I Martinez, think that's who yep. it is. Yeah. Yep. And Martinez, it just seems yep. like that that pairing has seemed to bring out something in Garbine Muguruza that brings her best tennis. And it's just, for me, I love... To be her size, six foot, and move as fluidly sure. as she does, it's just special. It really is. She's one of those unique athletes in the women's game. And I just, again, if if I agree with you, her plan B, maybe not as great as a Svitolina, not as great as a Kennan. Although the reason Kennan's in Tier 3 and not Tier 2, if you lose 0-0 in the buildup to a Grand Slam, it's an automatic <laughs> one-tier de- demotion. Oh, just on, just on, principle, on principle. On principle. What's 0-0? Right? No. What's Look, going on? I At love two she... bagels, but only on a Sunday morning. Like, yeah, listen, <laughs> me, you know, listen, if I could eat bread and I don't eat bread, you and me, <laughs> we'd be the same because I grew up eating a lot, a whole lot of Lenders bagels. Let me Wait, tell you. Wait, so if you can't eat bread, what do you do for Break the Fast? No bagels? Oh, my friend. Well, off podcast, off air. We'll have to get into. Uh, we'll have to get into my uh, my religious uh, rituals. Um, <laughs> I, I've had. I, I I've got. Um, and this will obviously have to be edited out. But they've got. Uh, I've got this very sort of uh, streamlined way I eat and diet, and uh, uh, really the only time in the year where I actually eat bread per se is when I have challah because you know. What is a day? What is what is a month without challah? It's like, geez, you know, back in the day, it'd be like, where's all the butter and challah? I could be here all night, but like, but now if I do that, I'll be in the hospital all week. So we got to pass on that. Uh, but well, you know, listen, I agree with I agree with all your points about about well, well, your point about Kenan. Well, you know, obviously, look, nobody wants to lose. But yeah. I will say one. It's thing one about, match too. That was a bit facetious, match, right? Yeah. It's one match, but I will say. Wasn't her wasn't her tweet about it kind of funny? Hilarious. Kinda, That's exactly what like you want to see. Right? Like, 
you know, listen, everybody has a bad day. I just had mine, you know? It's like, yeah, it's it's pretty bad, right? Yeah. Um, But but if you can tweet and you can put it out there and make a joke about it, right, in some way, I think that says a lot for how you think, right? Which is Mm -hmm. also part of the reason why you have to put her in a certain category to be a contender, right? If she's healthy and if she's, you know, like feeling decent or moderately decent. But I want to I want to throw one last thing out at you. I okay? love it. Give just it to because, me. Just because I love those Sandy Koufax sliders. Um, <laughs> I want – or curveballs for that matter. <laughs> I want to give – I want to share with you my, my sort of out there in the woods dark horse. Yes. Okay. So this is what we've been waiting the whole podcast for. <laughs> I hope everyone just skipped ahead. <laughs> <laughs> just skipped ahead. Forget about all the content. Just go straight to the one thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go – with Layla Fernandez, okay, to as my be, uh, to be uh, uh, as you, a, can as you a, hear the stunness? I'm like to win a match to win. Yeah, no, no, matches? as my as my total dark horse to maybe make a deep run mm-hmm. and not win it, but maybe cause a little. You know what I mean? Like a little mm-hmm. okay, a little media, a little oh look, you know, look at the way she's playing. A little bit of you know talk in the locker room, right? Per se, right? A little journalism frenzy, right? What's going on, you know? Um, And on top of that, because she's Canadian, she's going to get even more attention because obviously, look, I mean, Jeannie's had a couple results, right? Bouchard. But, you know, has had trouble in the majors for quite a long time. Everybody knows that, right? And obviously, you know, obviously Andrescu's not there, right? So anything she does, even remotely close to good, right, is going to be amplified. Okay, so she would be my like sort of out there, doesn't really have the experience, right? Doesn't have all that, but I believe that she's got the focus, the determination, and I believe that she's got the skill set to make life uncomfortable for a lot of different players. Layla Fernandez's path to the second week. She got. She has to go through Magda Lynette, the 31 seed first round. Winnable, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Then she'll yeah. probably have Polona Herzog. Again, tricky, but certainly winnable. And then she'll yeah. probably match up with Petra Kvitova. That would be when the fun really starts. That would be when the popcorn comes out. Yeah, As, it, as Randy Master likes to so eloquently <laughs> say, this is a popcorn match. Are you ready? <laughs> Absolutely. That would be a fun one. That was not a name I was expecting. You're right. That was I love it. That was a Wakefield knuckler. That was just hanging in the wind there. But yeah, I mean, she's played certainly well. Junior French Open champion, if memory serves me correctly. So you know, it hasn't been at the pro levels, but there's no reason she can't succeed on the clay. And another person who's just Plan A, Plan B, Plan C. She's got all of the tools in the chest. It's just a matter of her putting it together and then obviously continuing to develop physically. I like that pick. I'm more of the you know the Marie Buzkova bandwagon you look for Buzkova I think she's got Kanepi first round then it would be a tough second round against Mertens but I just think Marie Buzkova is really really good I just think it's such a tough out it's one of those players similarly she's got B the plan A might not be great but B C and D all work for her and if things are going wrong she's able to always steer the ship in the right direction well, I think that you, uh, I think that you referenced something that we should create a T-shirt for, right? <laughs> Hashtag Plan A B C D because because anybody who shows up and the only way they can win is Plan A. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? The locker room's not that far away, and the airport's only a taxi drive away. Mm-hmm. You're going home quick. 
You got to have plan B, C, D. And if you do and you're ready to fight in the trenches, and I think Booz Cove is an interesting pick because I think she's got that sort of fighter men, you know, fighter quality, fighter mentality. And in a way, in a different way stylistically and maybe skill set, she's a, she's a little bit like um, Putin Seva, who you referenced. But Putin Seva is pretty interesting because, I mean, you know, she's got that pit bull mentality, right? She mm-hmm. loves to bring the fight. But you know what? I mean, one minute she's on top of the world cloud nine after an amazing point. And the next minute, she looks like she wants to rip her coach's head off, right? Like it's all—it's <laughs> yeah. like it's all his fault. And the ironic part is that's, I think, her boyfriend or her fiance. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that causes a whole bunch of other problems that we can't. Don't even—we we don't have a week of shows to go into that. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, anyway. So that that could be definitely an interesting one for sure. Yeah. Well, then my last and they're quick questions for you. Most just predictions. I'll go here first. Who, who goes further, Coco Goff or Layla Fernandez? Oof. Um. I'm going to go with Fernandez because she's got a lot less attention, and I believe that she's got the qualities to to you know to to at least make a, a decent run three four you know three four rounds. Yeah, no, I think again those are just two young names to follow for our listeners. All right, my last two. Give me your predictions, obviously for the women's singles champ, and then I want to hear your men's singles champ as well. Oh, no stress there. Put me on the spot. Love it. Day one. Okay. I was like all set with my little iced cold drink and shit. And He's going right into deep into predictions. All right. Here we go. So on the women's side, I'm going to go with, I'm going to take a shot and I'm going to go with Halep. I like it. I like it. That's my pick as well. Wow. We're on the same page. <laughs> I just the think, think for all the re- yeah the, all, for all the reasons we said like an hour ago, right? It's just the only the, the only thing missing beat. is our predictions and potato lockies. I just <laughs> had some before. Okay. <laughs> exactly with with but but no bacon because you know we're gonna keep this uh, yeah I, I don't do bacon. Okay, yeah, stay away from exactly. that. Okay, um, and with the guys, huh? With the guys, it's tough. Are you gonna make Whoa. the Nadal pick? Are you like me, someone who thinks Djokovic could rip off an undefeated twenty twenty? Which way are you looking? An undefeated other than when he beats himself. <laughs> <laughs> That'll forever be the talking point, won't it? Um, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm actually gonna go elsewhere. Ooh, ooh! I knew you were gonna say that. Ooh, I knew. <laughs> I'm going elsewhere. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm gonna do a coin flip. Okay. I'm gonna okay. make it a coin flip. I'm gonna make it fifty-fifty. One of these two guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I'll confirm it later. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'll confirm it later, but I, I'm going to go out on the limb, honestly, and I'm going to say potentially Shapovalov Ooh. because I honestly believe that I know, no, I don't believe I know he's got the game to do it. That's mm-hmm. number one. But I also believe he's coming in super confident because even when he lost last week to Schwartzman, right, he's like right there. And the game he's playing is like top shelf tennis, right? Okay. It's going to take like a big effort from a top guy to take him out if he's playing like that. And he's got everything. He can move. He's athletic. He's got, I mean, it's like shots from another planet, right? He's got everything. So I'll, I'll go with Dennis, but then on a, on a sort of what we call more standard, right? What the, what the experts and the pundits will probably stick with <laughs> and the logic says, right? And stats and all that. I'll go with team to Ooh. back up New York. I like that pick. I mean, team finals the last two years. We don't know exactly what we're going to see from Rafa. And team's got all of that confidence. So I don't think either of those are a bad pick. I love the Shapovalov pick. I think 
he is someone who, yeah, just if he's playing, that was always the missing piece, right? It's we've seen him have these one-off performances. It's how can he follow it up? Well, he's in the midst of one of those six-week stretch that every eventual top five player goes through where they just rip off these unbelievable results six weeks in a row. And you're like, okay, he's arrived. And I mean, for Shapovalov, he did it at the U.S. Open. He followed it up in Rome. I, I think that's a really good pick. I think those are two fun ones. I am excited that not everyone's on the Nadal bandwagon. So, of course, that means he's going to just not drop a set uh, over the next two weeks, as we all know. But, you know, Sandy, I am obviously so grateful for your time. Always a treasure to get to to speak with you in general, but to get to do it on the podcast as well. Just an added bonus for our listeners out there who don't know about Middleman Tennis, who maybe want to follow what you are up to. Where can they where can they find what you're thinking? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at middlemantennis.com. It's super simple. Of course, my name's not, but it is super simple. Uh, M-I-T-T-L-E-M-A-N, tennis, everybody knows that by now, uh, .com. It's real easy, and uh, all my contact information is there, and I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I'm everywhere where probably I don't feel like being, but I'm there anyways. And <laughs> love, love answering questions, get them from all over the world. So, yeah, don't hesitate. And most importantly, Alex, besides that, thanks so much for uh, reaching out, catching up, asking me to come on. Great time. Definitely different with just you and I, but super interesting and fun. And I think we could turn this into like a, a weekly six-hour show. It might get picked up by a network. Who knows? That's, a, that's, uh, what, I, that's what I'm saying. Nowadays, it'll be like I think your challah to coming on the podcast ratio should be one-to-one. Like anytime you're considering one, do the other. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's but awesome. Pre- pre- appreciate you asking me. Thanks for bringing me on, having me on. Great time. And uh, yeah, let's do it again. Love to. Of course, always a pleasure, Sandy. I'll end it like I started the Shana Tova to you. Hopefully, we will get the chance to speak again soon. Sounds good. Shana Tova. (laughs) Take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Sandy Middleman. You knew I was going to find a way to sneak in a little Alex Zverev talk. I always do. But, of course, a huge thank you to Sandy for just being open for, I think we were on there, what, an hour 10, an hour 15. And I think we covered it all. Those are the contenders, certainly, uh, that I believe those would be the women, the names that could emerge with this Grand Slam title. And we're all so excited for all of the action to unfold. We hope you follow along with us over these next two weeks with the action in Paris here with us at Cracked Rackets. Uh, It's going to be this podcast uh, each day with our GSP Aces of the Day, our picks with our friends at DraftKings. We're going to be recapping all the action, of course, each and every day on our mini break podcast. You can like, rate, subscribe, review those wherever you listen to your podcast, along with our other shows, the Cracked Interviews and Inside Out Podcast. Season one of the Inside Out Podcast, by the way, the history, the best American male tennis player at any given point in the open era. Really happy with how that podcast turned out. If you are looking for some fun listening, uh, I promise that is something all of you listeners will enjoy. A huge shout out to our Patreon subscribers for all of their continued support. If you would like some access to some exclusive Cracked Rackets content, if you would like to support us, and we can't do this without the support we get from all of you listeners, please be sure to go check that out. Go check out our merchandise store as well. Some fantastic gear I know all of you will enjoy. I know you know if it's good enough for Mark Lucero, Steve Weissman, Ben Rothenberg, it's good enough for you. So be sure to go check out that Cracked Rackets merch. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westhoff for the 
of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings. Again, here are picks for every day's matches throughout the tennis world on our GSP Ace of the Day. You can read those picks on our website, CrackRackets.com. You can get in on the action by going to dkng.co slash cracked open. But with that being said, for my wonderful guest, Sandy Middleman, our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.